Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Right. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we are here today to talk with someone who's taken the reins of their industry horse and steered off the lame, tired path to venture into unexplored opportunities that have kicked the dust up on the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting since the late 90s. I think he's lying. I think he's been doing it a lot longer. <laughs> We're talking to him today to discuss how he's growing businesses through automation workflows and integration without neglecting employees. Coming to us live from Scottsdale, Arizona, please welcome our business disruptor, business automation executive at Technologent, Kevin Buckley, alias the Re-Innovator. <laughs> KJ, good morning. And good thank morning. you for having me on today. I appreciate yeah. the opportunity. Oh, you're very welcome. You look very dapper. I well, have thank to say. You. I thank yes. you. Well, thank you. So tell me, so we're going to get into this whole topic of disrupting with business automation. You help companies do just that, disrupt their market, their businesses and so forth with business automation. That's a huge controversial topic today. Before we get into that, I want you to tell me what's from what you see in all the companies you consult, what is the main ingredient for disruption? Um, I think the main ingredient for Disruption, there's two sides of it, right? I, I, I live in both the technical side with customers and I also live with the, uh, on the business side, two different conversations. Mm -hmm. And the disruption today are newer companies coming on greenfield type of companies that are building uh, services, product offerings very quickly, uh, very efficiently, keeping their costs down and providing excellent customer service. While Amazon has been around for a very long time, I often use that as an example because Amazon has in many ways become a standard in terms of customer expectations, in terms of service, um, delivery, ease of return and that sort of thing. And that experience I believe has become an expectation for customers in different industries. And many brick and mortar traditional type of companies of which there are probably 90% of them out there are struggling to be relevant, provide better customer experience, drive their costs down so they can compete with these kind of greenfield startups and, and transform themselves and disrupt themselves in terms of how they do business today to do it in a new, more efficient, cost-efficient way. That's, that's the whole conversation or is that the business side? That's the business side. Well, let me ask you a quick question. When you say greenfield businesses, that's a term that maybe maybe all of our listeners have heard it, but I haven't always heard it. What does it mean exactly? So another way, and I'll explain this too, a company that's born in the cloud, a company that is coming to market does not have to invest a tremendous amount of money in technical debt, building infrastructure, 
software applications to run, you know, um, uh, their processes. Many of this can be stood up in the cloud and paid for on a monthly basis, and they can bring that to market very, very quickly. Hmm. Most companies today that we know of, that you, you would think of, have a tremendous amount of investment in infrastructure and technical debt. And they often find that it's not easy to move that up into the cloud. Application stacks are built over 10 or 15 years. They're running their business on this. The uh, you know, power company is sending out bills every month or, uh, or doing billing on a infrastructure stack that cannot be moved to the cloud. Again, it costs them 10, 15, maybe $30 million to do that. Not, and in addition, disrupting their, their, their billing or, or their processes. So, so the Greenfield green companies company. are the ones that start out that way. They don't yeah. have that. Think, think of Uber. Yeah. Think of Lyft. Think of DoorDash, right? Many of these are leveraging the cloud to deliver their services and to provide storage and, and infrastructure. You know, it's interesting that you say that. I was just in a conversation the other day with a client. We were talking about a public company. I can't remember what it was, but they needed to uh, move their stack to the cloud and they couldn't do it because it cost them um, an exorbitant, I, you know, I want to say like it was a huge public company. I don't know if this is true, but a billion dollars a month. I don't know if that could happen, <laughs> right? But they couldn't do it because they couldn't justify it to the stakeholders, right? Yeah. It was this historical company. Now, maybe that's a overinflated number, but the point is it's extremely expensive for them. Yes. You're saying the cost to them to move it to the cloud would be that much. Yeah. I don't know if it, that yeah. is true. It, 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 it could be. And, and it, uh, it, it just depends on the company, right? It's, right. Right. Um, but the point is you're saying, I mean, they're, they're really behind the, the eight ball here, right? Because they're competing with these greenfield startups and they have so much invested. They have to disrupt themselves. They have to disrupt the way that they're doing business today without disrupting their daily business. If that makes so is sense. that the ingredient? Like the, they have to disrupt themselves first? They have to decide if they're going to go embark on this journey to improve their business workflow processes, to automate them and to be able to deliver um, faster service, more timely deliveries, better customer service, better customer retention, and do that without having to hire um, a lot more full-time equivalents, right? Hiring more people. This is not about companies getting rid of employees. And that's kind of the, what I hear a lot when I talk to the business. And then when I talk to the line of business, it's very different. The business has a view that, listen, we need to disrupt ourselves. We need to drive efficiencies, uh, lower our costs and provide a better uh, customer experience. And the line of business person feels like, well, you're trying to take my job away. And that's where I'm really seeing the, the, um, the pushback or the inability for the business to move forward with those processes. And we could talk a little bit more about that and, and what we're, how we're helping companies with that. 
But the reality is, if I may just finish, yeah, please. most of the line of business workers today are doing jobs they hate. It's mind-numbing, repetitive, keystroke, data entry, over and over, fill out the form, fill out the form, fill out the form. And when I ask them many times, listen, if you didn't have to do this repetitive work all the time that you don't like, and, and, and you know, what would you rather be doing within the, within the company? And many of them would like to be able to get behind initiatives within the company and, and help you know, move forward with whatever those initiatives are, rather than be um, stuck kind of in the, um, in the cogs. Yes, in the, in the mind-numbing activities. That's a really good term. So what is the status quo? So you have these visionaries that go, we have to disrupt ourselves, you know, for the sake of <laughs> staying in business over a period of time, right? Um, and then they're met with this pushback and opposition, which is probably a stigma based on fixed ideas. Like, what's the status quo? Like, they many companies don't do it because they get so much pushback. They Yeah, so let's... Let's talk about the business side first, and then we okay. can talk about the IT side, right? Okay. Because they each have their challenges, but it's so important that they they come together. And this is where we're seeing a lot of challenges within business, right? The okay. business has initiatives that they're trying to pursue. They have their own internal challenges to get people on board. IT wants to provide support to the business, but oftentimes they are encumbered by their own processes, by their own large applications that don't talk to each other. So how do these two kind of come together um, for the benefit of the company, right? So on the business side, I probably 20, 25% of companies have said, okay, we wanna try this automation journey. Let's call it robotic process automation, right? Which basically addresses business workflows that are done today, right? You do a keyboard entry over here, that information goes into this system, goes into that system, and, and kind of gets out, right? The, the, what they're finding is they start these projects internally and they are not seeing the return on the cost of the licenses or, the, or, or, what, or what, they're, what, what they're getting back, what they're expecting back, sorry. The challenge is that they're doing them themselves. And so they're limited by their own understanding, their own capabilities, where they think they should go. Um, so they're trying these things. In the meantime, they're not bringing the lines of business in and the workers in to be part of this process and explain to them why we are doing what we're doing. You know, as humans, if, you know, seek first to understand, you know, then be understood. If you, we're having great success in going in and saying, listen, we know automation can save your company a lot of money, orders of magnitude. We don't have any issues with that. We can show you how, how, how that works. We show you on paper. But we need to take a step back and we need to get upper management on board, aligned with what we're trying to do. Many of these projects on the business side start at the CFO or CEO level, big initiatives, right? CFO says, yes, we need to drive efficiencies, right? We show them how automation can save them money, but they're, they're neglecting to get the, the workers, the people on board with their, 
with the process. So we take a step back and we say, listen, we need to start with helping you establish a center of excellence within your organization by which lines of business can have input into here's our, their, their stakeholders, right? Whether it be right. supply chain or finance or accounts payable or legal contracts, you name it, right? All these lines of business all have different processes and workflows, but they're not being listened to. They're not being heard. So when we provide, uh, bring them in as stakeholders to say, guys, you have a voice in this. This is something we want to do. It's not something we want to shove on you. We need your input in order to make this successful. Lines of business, whether it be directors, managers, even people doing the work, come to the table and say, this is what's good about the process. This is what could be improved. This is what I don't like about my job. Because they see it every day. They know where the challenges are in supply chain. They know where the sticking points are, right? And I could you know, have lots of examples. Um, so they feel they're part of the process. They feel that they're involved and they understand what the bigger picture is rather than, again, coming in kind of over the top. It's, it's a basic human condition, I think, right? Yeah. Kevin, you're a PR. I'm you're a PR? A- <laughs> I'm a public relations <laughs> that's guy? P- that's, what P- that's what PRs do. So, PR's job is to take management's vision and goal and communicate it in a variety of ways to the different stakeholders so they get on board. Yes. So you're telling me that the status quo is this is not, this is a novel thing. It's not been being done. And this yeah. is the key ingredient. Yes. Wow. And, and companies like Technologin, a 15 second plug, we come in with this experience and expertise to say, listen, we can help you map out this process bring these people together, you know, document all of these workflows, identify the higher priority workflows where you're gonna see the biggest return. Because if we can show that return, if we, if, we, if we have buy-in from the lines of business and they see it's making their job more efficient and they're able to take resources they have today and point them at stuff that's got higher value priority, and we show return back to the business on that workflow, let's call it supply chain, the business is gonna go find lots of money to do it in the other lines of business, right? But I believe that you're not gonna see that return unless you've got buy-in from the lines of business, executive sponsorship, driving that vision and getting people on board. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen that. Almost every case. Hellacious pushback, right? So the early adopters of this, it's almost like re-innovating a company, right? These are um, the management, the executives, right? They see the vision, right? Who, Who do you find to be the ones that are very resistant to change? The ones that you feel like need the most amount of input or communication? Within the business, line, yeah, lines of business? Yeah. with the lines of business. Um, many cases, not always, but manager level and down. Directors, VPs, right? They're, they're aligned, right? I mean, directors are like, these are our marching orders. We understand what we're trying to do, right? He's got to communicate that down to the management and the people actually doing the work uh, to get them on board. So... That's where I'm seeing, and no one's talking to them. No one's communicating with them other than 
you know, we're putting automation in. And, you know, first thing to think about is, you know, I'm going to be replaced by a kiosk. Tough titty, said the kitty. <laughs> right. Right. It's like McDonald's. You're going to put a kiosk in, right? And I, you know, but I'm done for. So that's kind of where I'm seeing it. We um, had a big data client one time in the um, insurance carrier world, and they were putting a lot of automation in for insurance carriers, which um, unbelievably to me can be very antiquated with legacy tech and things like that, right? Um, and it was the actuaries that had the most amount of pushback because they erroneously thought they were going to be put out of a job when in actual fact, they needed their creative skill sets more than ever. It was a huge stigma to overcome. What do you find is the biggest stigma people are afraid of? They're not going to have their job anymore. Um, I think, yeah, from the from the manager level down, yes, I think it's fear of change, fear of the unknown, right? There's no knowns, there's none known unknowns and unknown unknowns, right? And I think they fear the unknown unknowns, right? What, what's really going on? What's really going on in the company? Where they're doing automation, where it's, you know, they're trying to replace me. You, interesting point about the uh, actuaries. So in automation, you can bring in artificial intelligence and business intelligence and you can run this tremendous amount of data using AI calling through massive amount of data, but you still need an actuary to look at the results and draw the conclusion. That's the human interaction. The value is not in running all those spreadsheets and spending 40 hours doing that. The value is doing, getting all that data collected in a presentable format in less than an hour and having an actuary spend a couple hours understanding what it means to the business, right? Right. That's exactly what was happening. And, and from my recall, just doing uh, research into the actuaries, they did feel like that 40 hour work week was mind numbing. Yeah. But yeah. still very hesitant to change. So what is the disruption here? I mean, you're putting in robotics and automation, but there's disruption before the disruption. What what do you guys do that is more innovative that helps companies through this? Again, I think we, we take the approach, we step back and help them come up with a, an over, I always like to use the arch, right? There's an arch of everything, right? So the beginning, the middle, you know, and, and the end of the arch. And a lot of customers have trouble. They, they'll start at the beginning, but they just can't get up to the top of the arch, right? And we, we come and take a step back it, it, from a consultative approach uh, and say, these are components you're gonna have to have in place and we can help you map this out. We can come in and, and pull this information together. Many times it's helpful to have someone come in that's done this many, many times before rather than the business and say, you know, we find that um, employees are very open uh, many times about their challenges, right? It's anonymous, but we, we take that information as opposed to talking to your manager, your director, your VP. Good. Um, so we help them kind of map this out around a center of excellence on which they can build and then identifying those workflows and, and mapping that out and maybe coming up with 10 that the business agrees on and then measuring each one. These are expected, this is what we expect in terms of outcome. 
This is what we expect in terms of savings. This is what we did the automation. Let's go back. Did we meet those expectations, right? And, and again, it provides confidence back to the business that we have a repeatable process and, re and a repeatable methodology by which we can prove back to the business, yes, this was successful or lessons learned out of this one or something specific about this line of business that needs to be addressed. And at the same time, we do an analysis, we do data mining, we do analysis of what needs to change about the business workflow. Just because you're doing it the way you do it, let's take the opportunity now to improve through automation, the workflow, uh, the process, and, and make it more efficient. There's no value in automating a process you already have if we find inefficiencies in that process. So that's where our business analysts come in uh, and our business expertise in terms of looking specifically at these workflows based on uh, different lines of business. And you consult the workers, which seems to be such a novel idea today. Yes, we consult with the workers. They wanna be heard. Yeah, yeah. They, they want to have input. Yeah. We all want to have input, right? We all do. You know, I like to say, you know, you, you, you may, you can have an opinion, but you may not get a vote, but you, you can have an opinion, right? And then, but we'll take all of this together and then share it back with you. Here's what we're going to do. And, and people, they'll hear uh, in that messaging from upper management, okay, they hear me and this is not going to take my job away. It's going to save money because as the business and grows, if we're trying to grow our business by 10 or 15% uh, every year, you know, the, the business may not necessarily want to hire 10 or 15% more people to do that. And that's where automation says, okay, we can flatten that curve. We don't have to get rid of people, but we can flatten that curve, do more work with the same amount of people. And then we scale people as, you know, as we need it, maybe at the 25 or 30% growth mark. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, Kevin. So you, I want to go back to um, the industries that are changing the most. I, with this automation uh, that you've been talking about, I just read a white paper um, a, you know, about healthcare, med tech, you know, health tech, and you're talking about the consumer demand today changing. Uh, the way businesses are being run and it's consumer convenience and so forth. And this is happening greatly in healthcare right now, right? Like COVID has time warped things like 10 years. It's happening in e-commerce, shipping and logistics. I mean, we see this in all of the industries that we work with. Where are you seeing it the most? So it, it affects all industries. They all have their, you know, insurance, uh, healthcare and retail. Healthcare and retail are, are where I'm seeing uh, a lot of the need and a lot of the desire um, for looking at automation uh, and hyper automation. Um, healthcare, for example, it is healthcare. I have a lot of large health co companies, and I, I think they would tell you the same thing that I'm telling you. I'm not talking out of school. Healthcare is always three to five years behind other industries. That it, they will say that it is true. It just, it's a nature of the beast. The regulations come fast and furious. They've got legacy applications. They've got multiple points of information, uh, whether it be Lawson or EMR or EHR, all this data. 
and the systems still don't talk to each other. And I can give you some, a few examples. And then retail is uh, another one because a lot of retail customers today are traditional brick and mortar and they're competing with the Amazons of the world. They're competing with the Chewies of the world, right? For getting my dog bone shipped to me overnight. Yep. Uh, and, and, and again, Amazon has changed all that. Amazon has changed that expectation, right? In terms of the convenience for me as a customer to go online, order something, boom, and, and it's all done. The same experience, they wanna be able to have the same experience within the store um, and supply chain is a big part of that. Uh, around the brick and mortars for retail. Hmm. I, I could give a couple of examples, but give me some examples of healthcare. So some of my favorite examples, uh, there is um, there, there's two revenue cycle for one. If the if a healthcare provider can work with a healthcare payer um, and cycle through invoices uh, more quickly and and go through the billing process more quickly, they can generate cash faster, back to them faster. And a lot of that can be automated. Many, much of that is done manually today. Invoice entry, send the invoice out, right? Matching, pairing information. A lot of that can be automated so that you can actually generate more uh, billing. There's a healthcare uh, provider that we have that acquired another healthcare care provider. And the, this, Initial, the initial healthcare was probably doing 60 to 70,000 invoices per month out of theirs. The, Manually. Yes, through <laughs> their system, right? I mean, just talk about, wow, yeah, right? Matching invoices, you know, that, that process. I, that's why I do what I do. I can't do that. It would just, no, no, no it's just not my thing, right? I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> so, they acquired this uh, other healthcare um, provider. They had four or five um, hospitals and they were generating 40,000 invoices per month. The mandate from the business was we need to be able to process those invoices, but we can't increase the amount of people that we have in order to do that, right? We need to consolidate them. So they went through this large exercise, took about seven or eight months where they actually combined through robotic automation, both those systems, so I'm actually going scan, match invoices, and they were able to generate um, you know, about 100, 110,000 invoices, not right off the bat, but to do that within a month without substantially ramping up or, or um, in increasing the amount of people they had to hire to do that. So it made it easier for them to not disrupt the revenue flow uh, to the business, do this acquisition. There's still plenty of other work to be done, right? Integrating EMRs, integrating, you know, um, uh, scheduling systems. And the scheduling, if I could give you one more, the scheduling yeah. system is, is another good one. You check into a hospital today, you check in, right? You sit down, all your information, your insurance card, all the stuff, right? Um, all that order entry in is, it's like going to the DMV. I, and, I mean that in a mean way, but it's like, now go over here, right? And you're asked for the information over and over again. Then you go to the pharmacy. And I've done it myself. It's like, I just gave you this information. Like I feel times, the right? same way, yes. So today we're working with healthcare uh, providers where we can go in, we can connect the order entry with the doctor's schedule, with the operating room schedule, 
with the pharmacy. So when I come in as a patient, you checked in, you know, instead of swiveling or uh, from, you know, keyboard to keyboard or going to different people, I can go through, check the system based on your doctor, available doctor, what's needed for your operation availability and schedule all that with you right there as a patient when, uh, when I'm in front of you, you know, and, and then you can go to the pharmacy and then upon checkout, when you have your um, exit um, orders, all of that can be automated as well. So automatic follow-ups are generated. Hey, we're checking in on you. Are you taking your meds? Providing that customer experience. So as a patient, when, when I walk in, it's like, you know what? This has really been great. These, this is, it's been, I walked out of there with everything I needed, the documentation. And when I'm done with my surgery, I've got all my, um, oh, I forget what they call now, but when you're, you're discharged, yep. orders, right? And someone is automatically following up with you. Again, providing that patient experience. So what happens with a patient says, how did it go? Well, the procedure went great, but you know what? I got to tell you, going to so-and-so healthcare, it was the most amazing experience because they were just on it. They made it easy. They're checking up on me. Again, translate that back to how can I differentiate myself as a healthcare provider from other providers and be able to tell a story, right? And to be able to measure that customer satisfaction index. I know well, and customer satisfaction small. is so important with hospital systems and so forth today, based off of, um, from what I understand, getting paid or the rates that they get paid. I think customer satisfaction is a key component, right? Yes. Yep. And the discharge um, is, you make, bring up a good point, is very important as well, because they want to make sure that patient does not have to come back into the hospital right. because they get, they get dinged, right? Right. So there's a monetary incentive for the hospital to make sure that they're taking their meds, they're doing what they need to do, they're getting their follow in for their follow-up and all of that, and make sure that that person doesn't end up back in there two weeks later, right? In the emergency room. But that vision starts with at the CEO level saying, we want to provide an outstanding experience for our patients. We've got the greatest doctors, we got the greatest, all this stuff. We got the, all the tools. What's the patient experience like? That's the key. So, how, so you guys have changed this in a way, like you have this disruption portion of it within this whole automation disruption thing, right? How, how much time does that take? Cause it seems to be super important and you have to get all these stakeholders involved. Right? Does it lengthen yes. the time? Does it end up shortening the time? Do you have pain points in that? Do, do, do the you know key executives just want to get on with it? <laughs> well, there's always pain points, <laughs> no matter what you do. The we're finding it typically to come in and to do that type of data gathering to help them establish a center of excellence to do those interviews with the stakeholders, call that data, identify. These are where we see as the highest priorities. Do you, do you agree, Mr. Customer, right? And the biggest return, probably a 16-week, 12 to 16-week engagement. That's not horrible. Depending on the size of the business. Could yeah. be bigger, right? Um, it, it could be less. What we're finding is that the investment in this is relatively small, and we don't get 
pushback. The only pushback, we don't get pushback from executive level because they're willing, if they agree with the methodology and they agree with the process and they agree with, if we do this, here's what we're gonna be able to come back. They wanna be able to measure that and they wanna be able to understand what they're getting. And that's usually the biggest part upfront in working with uh, businesses is helping them understand if you do this, this is what your deliverable will be. It, it, it will probably be one automation that we decide on, but the bigger picture will be establishing the center of excellence, establishing that communication uh, between upper management and, and lines of business uh, to making sure that going forward, you, you're successful. Otherwise, KJ, it just, it falls apart. It, you, you can have the best of intention, right? And the CFO can see the opportunity, but um, if they're not bringing everybody together, it's not going to be. And you have to have a way to measure that so that they can see, okay, here's the vision, but sometimes you put it into the material world, you have to make adjustments and changes, right? Right. And does yeah. that then become like a standard template for that company to then apply for the next automation? That's a really good question. So uh, yes, uh, when we come into an organization, we don't plan on being there forever, right? There's lots of people that need help. So we, we, we come in, help them set up a COE, we teach them to fish at the same time. You know, uh, as you go to these other lines of business, you can take this template, this methodology. If you want us to conduct the interviews, we're happy to do that as a third party, provide that data back to you. You already know how to go about, you know, licensing it, uh, implementing it, what stakeholders you need from the digital automation team. Because today, most organizations have a, a digital transformation, a digital automa automation group with associated titles um, that will run with that. Makes and we're always, sense. There to, always there to help. Makes sense. So this key disruption within the whole business automation disruption, when did, when did you guys say, like, have the epiphany on it? Like you said, that's it. <laughs> We're changing this. It was, um, for me, it was about a year ago. I, 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 I've driven this within Technologent because I've had a very traditional kind of infrastructure background. <clears throat> I've, I've done very well with companies on the IT side. And over the last two or three years, I've had more and more discussions with the business side, but I see over and over again where many times through no one's fault, uh, there's just a lack of communication or partnership between IT and business. Mm -hmm. it and then when the automation time. came along, and then at the more I read about it, I mean, Gartner's number one um, for 2021 disruptive technology is automation and hyper automation. So the buzz is out there, people are talking about it, people understand there's opportunity. So I kind of dove in and kind of went through this education process myself and I became excited about it because it, it's, you can really go in, have different type of conversations with people that I normally don't have conversation with. And I find it very interesting to learn about different businesses, you know, what their challenges are. I see a lot of commonality, but each business also has their own kind of unique set of, you know, workflows, business, politics, personality. And it's a challenge to help them overcome all that. 
Yeah. And it seems to be a separate mantra from the way corporate America has worked on things before. I mean, you're asking the frontline workers that are actually doing the day to day, what really is going on. I know as an executive, I think I know what's going on and I have an overview, but the day to day of the real challenges that my staff experience, um, I really don't have that data. (laughs) It's it's kind of like an undercover boss sort of thing, right? Yeah, it's true. That's right? so true. You are the undercover boss. You know, the CEO put on his hat and his fake beard and went down to the front line. People are like, oh my gosh, yeah, this whole day? Yes. Yeah. This is the undercover boss part, right? What do you think healthcare and retail is going to look like in the next 10 years with more and more automation and hyper automation happening? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, it um, there's so much work to be done just to provide greater efficiencies, greater customer experiences. Um, I think for healthcare, it's going to be much more tele telehealth. Yeah, there's going to be much more applications. There's going to be more wearables that you can have that it will monitor you after you leave or before. I mean, they have those today, but the adoption rate isn't there. And the ability to take that data in across, you know, 5,000 patients or 10,000 patients in any, any given time and make decisions against that is a challenge, right? And this is where automation and AI can come in to take this data, I think of a company like uh, ResMed. ResMed is in San Diego, not a customer, but I've worked for them for uh, um, previous. Very quickly, they have the CPAC devices, right? And they've got five to eight million of these out in the world. Every night that data is downloaded um, to um, a a database at, at headquarters. And they're looking at that data and they're looking for, you know, anomalies. The point is that uh, automation is going to be required to take that data in, search for anomalies. Here's a patient that's having an issue, um, and it'll make it uh, make it easier to uh, uh, to deliver better healthcare and provide better patient outcomes. I think and save lives, and then possibly the integration with other practices, right? Like mm-hmm. these apnea machines and then being able to integrate with the cardiac remote monitoring systems and so on and so forth. Cause that affects. Think of a doctor condition. today. Think of a doctor today. I mean, he, I forget, a, uh, they spend so much time when they have a patient in front of them going from, you know, radiology to all this different information they have to go look at. Right. What if they could all be presented to them in real time, right? How many more patients would be able to see how much more would he have time to have interact with that patient and see the big picture, right? And and provide a better better experience, right? We we all go to the doctor, right? Well, if you go to the same doctor, he knows who you are, right? But it's different when you're in a hospital because you've got different um, physician groups interacting with you, as well as the nursing station. It'd what be like one save, bigger hospital, right? What if I could save a nurse? you know, 20 visits to a, a patient room, a shift, right? 
to go check on them <clears throat> when that step that can be automated. I guess it's like no we'd choice. be practicing health then instead of practicing medicine, <laughs> right? Maybe so. Yeah. It's a, getting back to that, you know, you had the family doctor, right? Who knew you, you had that experience, right? Um, so I think it comes back again to patient customer experience and same, same with retail, right? As, as retail, traditional retailers are now trying to expand their brand online, whether it be a PetSmart or a Petco or Walmart or whatever, right? How can they make sure that they have the product in stock, pricing is accurate and it can be shipped out and they can get that product shipped out and on my doorstep in the same amount of time Amazon can. Right. And this is all improving customer experience, but it's also letting, right, the key stakeholders yes. have opportunities to have more, more ability to have a say in the business or create on other skill sets or put them to use on things that are not mind numbing. Right. Huge stakeholder. Right. Huge. Now, now when, when the business comes out with their, their 10K, uh, beginning of the year says, here, this is what we did last year. These are our goals and objectives for the coming year. This is what we want to do, improve this, you know, by X percentage. You know, an employee, if they're motivated, can look at that and say, how can I get behind helping that, right? Helping us reach our stated goals as a company to grow in these areas, right? As opposed to coming in, working from home or coming to the office and doing, you know, same thing every day. People want to be challenged. People want to feel like they're contributing. People, they do. They really do. And they want to be acknowledged want, for it. And they want to be acknowledged and want to be listened to. Yeah. Yeah. So Kevin, were you always this sort of like a communicator between tech and business or disparate groups? What, what were you like as young Kevin? I, uh, Younger. I, was, younger. I was more tech, younger. Yeah. <laughs> that I was, I was more on the tech side. Yeah. I like the tech interacting with the IT folks, solving those challenges that they have. But I came to realize that that was just a very, very small piece of it. Right. And I came to realize through that process that many times the people I was working with, very smart people and really want to help the company didn't always have a handle on what the problem the business was trying to solve. So I would kind of go over the bit. I say, hey, you mind if I go over and, and talk to that group over there just to help me understand? And many times they're saying, yeah, good talk to them, right? And, um, and then I'd come back and say, it, it helped me complete the picture and help kind of drive. And then I would help, could help, they don't always need my help. I could help the IT folks put the justification together based on the business requirement, not based on, I need a million dollars to buy this shiny stuff that's gonna run faster and store a bunch of data, as opposed to, hey, if we invest this million dollars, this is the return back to the business that, that we can see, whatever it is, I'm not gonna, um, so it, it, it helped, many times I would write the business justification for the IT, and they would take it forward, right? When they're asking for the money. Because the people evaluating the money, they don't care what this list They don't. List. <laughs> they don't care. They look at the bottom line. It's a million dollars, yeah. right? And that's really hard for IT people to understand. Like, you don't care about this? <laughs> right. It's like, put the list down. This is what you're going to get in return if, if we spend this money, right? 
whether it be, you know, malware protection, whatever it is, right? So that got me more and more involved and that became part of my, my, my uh, sales campaign or my efforts within an, within an organization. That makes sense. Makes total. So you started off in the IT side and you really saw the missing gaps. Yep. Yeah. It's still IT. I, it, it's still, it's still all at the end of the day, we haven't talked about much about IT. We have a few minutes, but at the end of the day, all of this stuff we're trying to do has to be run, has to be supported, has to be provided support for the lines of business by somebody. Right. Right. And IT has that. And I'll just say in a minute, where we can help in IT, IT has a tremendous amount of investment, a tremendous amount of technical debt. They've got the storage infrastructure, the network. Security. Security. Pressure they've is unbelievable. The pressure is unbelievable. The yeah. spinning, the spinning plate. And then they've got 15 different unique applications, whether it be SAP or EMR or whatever it is, running this data. What we're able to do on the IT side is, got, listen, you've got this investment. This is important data that you have here. The business needs this data, that need access to this data. It's taking you 40 hours to get a report out of SAP. We can connect those applications on the back end and help them talk to each other and run the, the business workflow process from application to application to application to collect that data and then present that data back rather than getting it individually. And then that presents another challenge to the business, which we address, and that is governance and audit, to be able to be audited, audited, right? If I have a unattended robot going in and touching patient healthcare information or touching credit card information, I need to have an audit trail so I know who accessed what and all that can be automated as well. So we can provide audit trails uh, back to the audit, more um, accurate auditing, because the, the trick in the audit is n- not knowing what you don't know. That's where you get, that's where you get stuck, right? Yeah. Um, so we can make the audit process easier as well. So again, IT is like, we can help you too. We can stitch all this stuff on the, on the back end and you guys can focus on the important aspect of making sure that systems are up and spending more time with the business. This probably gives them a lot of peace of mind and ability to sleep at night. They like the idea. <laughs> yeah. But like the business, they don't know where to start, but we have the same process with them. They're too interiorized into it. So you have the same process with them. That's interesting. Of course. Right. Yeah. So you have it on both sides. You have to have this on both sides. You do. Right. Because we have to marry the business goals, the business objectives with the infrastructure I have in place to support that and make sure that the data is flowing, right? You have the data, the business without the access to the data, my hands too big, the business, talk to my hand, without access to the actual data, they can't make good business decisions. That's what I love about this podcast because people have a almost like a fixed idea of disruption and they don't realize all of the challenges that are innate in something like this. And um, while what you're saying seems so logical and simple, it is very novel and new. I, I think so. It's, it's when you talk about it, they go, well, yeah, of course. I of course. Of course I need to do that. 
<laughs> I just don't know how. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. So we can we can provide the how. We can help get a kickstarted. We can help in any in, in, in level that you want. So um, give us a little plug. You plugged Technologent, but tell me um, really who Technologent is and what you guys do. So Technologent is, we're north of $600 million uh, a year in revenue. We grow, been growing at 20, 25%. Substantial part of our growth has been around services like this, around services. Um, I would, it, we're, all across the country, we're, we're a global company. We're in India, Australia, Europe. Uh, we have multinational companies. We won an award from U.S. Commerce as the number one importer exporter so we can get equipment shipped. I like to call ourselves your local global systems integrator. We have that local touch. I'm in Scottsdale. We have a large office in Scottsdale. We're in cities all over. We have a tremendous amount of investment in business analysts and engineering folks. It's three to one business analysts and engineering folks to salespeople. Um, and still 60% of our business is infrastructure, but the growth is on the business side and helping, helping the business you know, achieve their business objectives and leveraging infrastructure that they have today and helping IT, helping pulling them together. And ultimately saving the economy, <laughs> helping the yes. economy, right? <laughs> that's that's yes. on the list for next week. <laughs> so tell me this, before we find out how people can connect with you, tell, tell me about your crazy passions. Tell me about Kevin. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do outside of business automation and innovation? So I'm an avid sailor. I've been sailing for many decades. <laughs> I actually, I learned when I was a teenager how to sell from a guy named Buddy Melgus. He lived next to us on Lake Geneva in Wisconsin. And I didn't realize it at the time as a teenager, but he won the gold medal uh, in the Olympics for sailing. He was no. just, so, he was just a I, dude. Was, he was just someone sailor. you knew. Yeah, who knew? And so I sail a lot. I'm certified skipper uh, up to 51 feet um, so I can do charters and stuff. So I, I love that. It, because it's challenging. I, it's hard for me to relax. Um, I always have to something going on. I'm an avid biker. I've got a big Harley. Really? So I, trade in, I trade in my blazer for uh, <laughs> a leather jacket and I'll take uh, long trips to kind of clear my head. I like to golf. And um, are you a good golfer? No, but they still call it golf when I play it. It's still called. <laughs> Actually, I play great customer golf. I pay and I lose. And then <laughs> That's the key, right? But I enjoy it. It keeps me humble and I incremental improvement is fine by me. Wow. So you're a, a skipper, you're a motorcycle rider, you're a golfer. Do you have a crazy skipper story? Have you ever like had something like Gilligan's Island happen? I actually did. I was on a sailboat, a 40 foot sailboat with a bunch of friends. We're heading out of the bay in San Diego. The engine catches on fire. Smokes comes pouring out of, you know, below. Everybody comes running up, right? My first reaction was to jump off the boat. It's like, wait a minute, you're the skipper. <laughs> Everybody stay calm. Oh Last thing goodness. you want is to see the skipper jump off the boat. <laughs> we stayed on the boat. We got the fire put out. In a nutshell, everybody's like, what do we do? Because it's got a diesel engine, right, to put out, right? Would you would go back? I said, you know, it is a sailboat 
and we don't need the engine. So we sailed the rest of the day. And then that evening, I brought back, I sailed it into the slip. Didn't damage the boat. Wow. That's difficult. I, I took my time. I called up the, I said, guys, I'm coming in. If someone wants to be down there, you know, I could use the help. So we, I ended up, you know, maneuvering the boat and getting right into the slip and everybody got off. And You've earned your stripes. Do you have a skipper hat? I, uh, I do not. <laughs> oh, no. I always say it's, it's a swell ship for the captain, but a hell ship for the crew. So. <laughs> well, I'm going to get you a skipper hat. <laughs> okay. I'll wear it next time. Kevin, how do our listeners get a hold of you? So uh, you can always check out our website, uh, technologent.com. Um, if you have a little posting, it's, you know, T-E-C-H-N-O-L-O-G-E-N-T.com. I can also be reached at uh, kevin.buckley at technology.com. And if you go to LinkedIn and search for me, uh, you'll see a series of podcasts I have, a series of um, blogs that I've posted, different information that might be helpful to you that kind of chronicles our journey and what we've discovered and what we're learning out there that we'd like to share with with people interested. Good. That's badass. So our guys know how to contact you and thank you so much. This has been fun. I learned a lot. I want to have another podcast on, you know, the intricacies of, uh, health tech. That would be telehealth, right? Automation and that, that would be neat. IOT is coming. Internet of all things is coming for healthcare. We can do a whole podcast on that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's a date. Thanks, everybody. That's it. If you learned something today or laugh, tell someone about the podcast, tell people to go disrupt their markets and use some tidbit from this show. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Interruption podcast, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.